Hi friend, it's Jessica. Welcome back to Guru Please. Today's show is all about how the brain works and how to use our thoughts to feel better and to do better. If you are the kind of person who's go, 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 and let's move on to the next thing, the better thing, then you're definitely going to find this show helpful to feel a sense of peace and freedom that you won't find in the next thing you're going after. Now, if you're someone who has that critical voice in your mind that judges you and judges others, this is a very important episode for you to learn how to shed some of those thoughts and work with the mind and the ego to treat yourself with kindness and to consciously choose what is happening in your mind and what kind of thoughts you're thinking. I hope you enjoy this episode and I hope that you find at least one thing that helps you that you can use in your life, even if it's just something that you want to ponder and and really think about and even experiment with in your own life. So here's the show. Hello and welcome to Guru Please, the show about pushing the limits of life and stepping up to live with more meaning, more purpose, and more passion. I'm your host, Jessica Sun. I'm thrilled to introduce Carrie Veach. Carrie is a coach who chases freedom and helps others do the same. She's a digital nomad, a gluten-free foodie, and the host of the Set Yourself Free podcast. Welcome to the show, Carrie. Thank you so much for having me, Jessica. Let's get started by talking about what freedom means to you and how you set yourself free. Yeah. So, you know, freedom to me is a lot of things and there's no like simple definition, but it's really living our most aligned and true purpose and out of our most aligned and true self. And so, you know, for me, it's been a lot of unlearning, like we were just talking about before we hit record in terms of unlearning other people's ways of being and making sure we're checking in with ourselves Mm -hmm. of what that looks like. But I'm a big fan of like making sure we're really living in emotional freedom, time freedom, Mm -hmm. financial freedom. It really encompasses a lot for me by definition. I also am location freedom. Like that's really important to me and has been a very big challenge personally uh, in terms of 2020 and COVID without having that, because that's something that I have grown to love is the ability to work online and to travel and have that level of freedom. But what I'm finding, whether I love the lesson or not, is that it really is in the letting go. It's the acceptance of what, of what is mm-hmm. and allowing that to be okay. And to know that like, Freedom, true freedom comes from within me. It doesn't come from an external source. Hmm. Okay. What got you started thinking about all these different aspects of freedom and literally freeing yourself in in those ways? Yeah. So I honestly feel like it's been such a journey, one of which I'm still on and learning, but I just, I grew up with a lot of chaos and trauma. And so I just deeply remember the only thing I wanted was to, to basically feel different. Like I, I didn't want to feel how I felt like I didn't want to feel bogged down or controlled or any of those things. And so 
freedom was that thing for me that I always wanted. Mm. And I think it was more abstract and hard to know exactly what that was years ago, but it was still something that I was always aware of and chasing in some fashion of like, there has to be more. I don't think I have to feel this way. I don't think I have to live this way. And it was just a little bit of a restlessness, but also a peace. Like at the same time, it was kind of a little bit of both of knowing and trusting that there could be a different way to feel and to experience life. Mm. Okay. So as you grow up, you're finding that you're just maybe not satisfied with the status quo and like this desire to know what's beyond it. Yeah. As you said, that restlessness to uh, experience something different or something greater. And now you are kind of location agnostic and you can work online. Just a great way to be able to have like physical freedom in the very least. I'm curious in terms of emotional freedom, how, or even spiritual freedom, how you are cultivating that. Yeah. So the really brief answer is part of it for me, which I just, you can only connect the dots looking backwards. Right. But I have celiac disease. And so I had no idea until I got diagnosed how interconnected our gut health and our mental health are. Mm -hmm. I think now people are talking about it more or at least circles I'm in because that's my world. But that was a huge part of my emotional freedom was getting that diagnosis so that I could heal my gut and have a different experience. So I'm a big fan of people getting the right resources and tools and all of those things, because I I truly, even when I was pre-diagnosed, I I tried everything. I was in therapy constantly. I, I felt like I was doing all of the things, but I still could not feel free emotionally. Like I cried all the time. I was depressed. I was just really, really miserable, but I was trying. Mm-hmm but my gut was just like a disaster. And, and then it was almost like a year after getting diagnosed, I was like, wait a minute, actually I'm happy. Is this like how normal people feel? Like, oh, <laughs> I just, I had never experienced a life like that before, right? I didn't know that was possible. Mm. So that was a big part of it, but that was still not like everything, right? It wasn't just like, that was the magic pill that suddenly fixed all of it. Like it did kind of bring me back to baseline so to speak. Mm -hmm. But then it's been a journey of discovering the tools. And I really feel like the tools that we don't teach people around thought work Mm -hmm. and intentional creation. And what I mean by that is like, so I'm a therapist by training, like I have a master's in counseling and I don't remember focusing very much on thought work we focused more on the feelings and addressing what was going on. Mm -hmm. However, everything starts from within our thoughts. And I, I just really, really feel strongly of advocating for it now because I'm like, oh, it makes so much sense once you get it. Like our thoughts literally lead to our feelings and our feelings out of that place is where we take action, right? Or don't take action. If we feel crappy, then we sit on the couch and watch Netflix all day. And then that leads to our results. And so of course there are external factors and circumstances that we cannot control and there will continue to be. Mm -hmm. But it's like, 
I feel like that's the secret, so to speak, of life of like, oh, we can be intentional with the thoughts and the energy we are putting into the world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm a big fan of like the cliche things like thoughts become things if you're into manifestation and this personal development space. However, it's not just like I have one thought and then suddenly a million dollars pops into my lap right? It's like intentional creation and continual thought work Mm -hmm. around choosing the thoughts in our brain that we want to give our power to. Mm. And I could, you know, talk on that for days, but I think that's been a lot of my healing and my growth has been understanding that of like, oh, my brain is lying to me all day long. It's just, it's trying to keep me safe. That's a job. And so my job is to question and to get curious And to know that I don't have to believe everything that my brain tells me. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Because if you do, you'll just be pulled, you know, different ways and your emotions are haywire. You know, just the sheer number of thoughts we have automatically is is astounding. It is. I mean, what, like the research says, what, 60 or 70,000, or I guess, depending on who you talk to. And 90 some percent of those are the same thoughts you had yesterday. Right. Exactly. And the day before and the day before. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. That's a daily count. Yeah. So when you say intentional thought, how do you choose which thoughts you want? You know, I mean, are you choosing just all happy, positive things? Like, what do you? Yeah. Great question. So I talk about this book a lot that was very transformational that I read a couple, maybe even last year, the year before it's called the surrender experiment. Mm -hmm. And it's all about letting go, which, you know, we were saying this is like the continual work and lesson, but he broke it down. It's his story of how he basically created this amazing company in life. And it was all through an experiment of surrendering. Mm -hmm. But he teaches it in such a simple format that I was like, oh, this is how we need to talk about it and tell people is literally just like getting conscious and aware of your thoughts and asking yourself, is this thought helping to get to my goal or to my dream or to whatever I'm trying to create in my life? And then actively choosing to drop any thoughts that aren't. Mm -hmm. So let's say you're like, you're starting a business and your goal is to make a thousand dollars a month. Your first, you know, couple of months in business, you're like, okay, I'm going to make a thousand dollars. So then your brain's like, you can't make a thousand dollars. No one's going to pay you. Who is going to want to hear from you? Whatever it does, it chatters and comes up with these lies. So if my goal is a thousand dollars a month and I'm set on that, then my job is to question every thought that says I can't make a thousand dollars and to just choose a better feeling thought. So of course I make it, of course I make a thousand dollars, like would be an example. And I would then latch onto that thought. And it's not just thinking a thought, like the way I like to explain it and how I live into it is the feeling that we get, we need to attach to that thought because that is how we allow these things to come to us, you know, whether or not you believe in the law of attraction or whatever, but I really believe like attracts like, and so we are these vibrational beings. And so if we want to create something faster, it's how would I feel if I already made that thousand dollars? Like, how can I celebrate those things now? How can I step into that energy and belief now before it is true? 
And it's wild what happens when we do that. It doesn't mean like, oh, if you just step into that feeling today, it's going to happen today. It might, it might not. Mm-hmm. But then we're also cultivating that internally and knowing that we aren't just relying on these external forces to make us happy or to like, you know, that mm-hmm. saying like, so-and-so made me feel Right. Right, right. And we all do it or we've heard it, you know, because that's what the world teaches us. Like, Mm -hmm. but it's just not true. (laughs) Right. We make ourselves feel a certain way. Yeah. 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 So honestly, the simplest way I know to like teach on this, to coach myself on this is like literally dropping any thoughts that are not helping you to build the future that you want. Mm-hmm. and choosing more empowering thoughts before they feel true because they're not going to feel true right when you're like mm. but i'm making 0 dollars in my business but i want to make a 1000 dollars like and it's not just standing in front of the mirror and repeating like i make a 1000 dollars i make a 1000 dollars like sure repetition is good for your brain mm-hmm. but you have to step into that feeling state and then I am a big fan of like, you got to go take your inspired action. Like it's not going to just show up without you doing your part. Mm -hmm. Have you ever, you know, felt the feeling ahead of time and then done it and then it doesn't actually match the feeling that you inspired in yourself? Mm, Do you mean like it's a different feeling? Like Right. When you actually reach the goal. So sometimes, and I think what happens, and I've been so guilty of this, like, because especially if we're like high achieving people, we set goals and then we hit them and then we move on. Right. So I'm really having to be conscious of that because it's such a trap. Like if we're then only relying on that thing, that marker, that experience and coming back to the present, like it's really forever the work of like, how can I celebrate what is and accept what is like, of course, I can always want to chase a bigger goal or have bigger dreams, right? Like once you hit that thousand dollars, you're probably not going to want to stay at a thousand dollars forever. You're probably going to want to make more and that's okay. But like where I have been guilty of this in the past and where I watch a lot of my clients or other people kind of shoot themselves in the foot is let's say you hit that thousand dollars for, you know, a month or two months, and then you make $2,000 and you're like, ah, this is amazing new feeling. And then maybe you make $1,500 one month. And then you're like, I suck. It's terrible. I'm never right. Like, but it's also just life and business. Like it's bumpy and there's never just this trajectory straight up, but we Mm -hmm. think it's going to be that way. Yeah. And that having that expectation, is a thought that doesn't necessarily serve us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And even knowing that, like, that's an interesting, I say that all the time, things that don't serve us, right? I'm always like, let go of things that don't serve us. And it's an interesting thought of like, I think a lot of people don't even recognize like, oh, you get to choose the kind of life you want. And like, is that helping you to get there? Right? I mean, I just... sometimes I have to take a step back and be like, huh, what did I think? I wish I could consciously remember, you know, what did I think before I really was into like being intentional with my life design and what it looked like Mm. and personal development space. Like, 
Yeah, you know? right. Because it's not something you can just tell about a person right off the bat versus, you know, if somebody works out, right? I mean, more or less. But you don't really know if somebody works on their mind, per se, until you hear what they're saying and how they're, how they frame the world. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, so that's a good little example of like how to compare it and parallel it. And I talk about this a lot because I work out often. I've gotten really into CrossFit. And so I don't ever think, oh, I'm just going to go to the gym once and I'm going to be set for the year of like my body, my fitness, like it's going to happen, you know, once. But sometimes once we're like dipping our toes or starting to understand like, okay, I could place more um, consciousness or effort on my thoughts. We think I just have to do that like once or, you know, when I don't feel good or whatever, but I always like to remind, you know, myself, my clients, anyone in my world, like it's the same as going to the gym. Like you have to continue to do it. Sometimes we hit a bit of success and it's like, oh, now I can just stop doing the work that got me here. (laughs) Our brain likes to, it wants to just do that. Yeah, totally. We forget. And I'm, you know, I was, I was just talking to a client this week and I was reminding her, like, I think the easiest place to forget about your mindset work or being intentional with your thoughts is when things are going well. Cause you're like, yeah, I'm good. I don't need to do that. I feel great. Mm. And it's like, I, I think that, you know, sure. Maybe you only need to be uh, intentional for a couple of minutes a day. If you used to take, you know, 20 minutes in the morning or something of like sitting down with your journal. But what happens then is if something like a bump comes up or what, you know, something outside of you that makes you wobble more. If you haven't been putting in that, that thought work, it's going to be harder to come back. Whereas I think we need that just as much when things are going well as when they're not going well. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like don't let your circumstances dictate how much effort you're going to put in. Absolutely. So you, you earlier, you mentioned that you have a master's in counseling, but you didn't feel like you got the full set of tools that we can really use to, you know, master our minds and really through that, have that greater impact on our lives. Let's talk about, are there any other tools you feel like we're missing? Like maybe more in line with spirituality, like trusting our intuition, things like that. Mm, Yeah. I love that you said that. That's a big one. And I feel like has been um, an interesting one, right? Because I, I'm a big fan of like, we need to trust ourselves and listen to our intuition above all else. And I'm so guilty of like outsourcing that or getting to a place of like having a mentor or someone. And then it's all of a sudden, like you're almost listening to them more than you're listening to your own intuition as a guide. Mm. Um, so I have been really intentional recently of like checking myself of of really checking in and making sure that that is my North star, right? Like no one else. Of course, I always want to be learning and growing. And I am a big fan of mentors and community and people that can help us, but we have to live in our own experience. No one else does. Mm -hmm. And so learning to listen, but I think that's really confusing for a lot of, a lot of people, right? Like, because we, we don't access it. And we've been taught not to, and definitely depending on 
how you've grown up or what kinds of circles you've grown up in. Like I was having a conversation with someone recently and I was like, oh yeah, because if you grew up in any version of a church, like one of the primary teachings is the heart is deceitful. <laughs> like that is something you're taught. Yeah. And so you're like, I can't trust myself. Why would I trust myself? It's deceitful. It lies to me. It right. You know, versus mm -hmm. going like, oh, my desires are good and they're safe and they're there for a reason and I can listen to them. Mm -hmm. And so I, I know that it's peeling back a lot of the layers and a lot of the noise, which most of us are not very great at. We're really good at filling the space and the silence with noise. And so I am a big fan of like taking at least a few minutes every day in silence, in meditation, some kind of intentional listening because you're never going to grow your intuition if you're not quiet. Mm -hmm. So just a couple minutes and putting the phone away, putting the computer away, just sitting there. And what does it mean to you to listen to the heart or, or the intuition? What does it sound like? Yeah. So, you know, I think it's, the best way I would describe it is like those little nudges. And I think if we're all honest with ourselves, we can recognize them, but we usually dismiss them as like, that's a crazy thought. Why would I do that? Like, hmm. let's say you're, I don't know, like I'm trying to think of a recent example. I'll, I'll think I can think of somebody else's example that gave, I was in a conversation where she was saying, she was like trying to call in her partner was being really intentional and one of the examples she gave was she had this day where she really felt her intuition, like whatever you want to call it. She just felt this nudge to go join this really expensive gym. And it was at a time where she like couldn't afford it. It didn't make sense, but she was just, her commitment was like being open and going like, I will trust, I will follow. And long story short, that's like where she ended up meeting her partner. And it was because she followed that nudge. And so I think it's just those little things and we build on it and we build trust as we listen. And, you know, it's like, go talk to this person, like something inside of us, whether it's a voice or just something we see as like a sign, so to speak. Mm. And there's no like formula for this, which I think can be very hard. <laughs> For a lot of us that want very concrete ways of being or interacting in the world, you know, mm -hmm. like spirituality and all of this can be just more abstract. So it's a little bit challenging to navigate, but mm -hmm. it's also like listening to ourselves and trusting our intuition is going to be our guiding light. And if we can learn to, to trust that with the belief that like, you're never going to mess something up so much that you can't course correct. You know, like one of my primary beliefs is like, there aren't right and wrong decisions. Mm. They're decisions. And I'm, I'm doing the best I can with the information I have at the time. So it's always the right decision for me, mm -hmm. but that's taken me a long time to get there because we're so trained, right? Like there's a right, there's a wrong, there's a good, there's a bad, all of that. Mm, and the like should haves and the could haves. Yeah. Yes. And that is a place often where I'm like, okay, anytime that's coming up in me of looking at it, 
because that means like something in me is telling me that it has to be a certain way or someone from my past has allowed me to think that way. And so I just, I notice those shoulds a lot when they come up or I hear other people, I'm like, I think that's a really big place to lean into and just go, huh, okay. There's probably something in me that thinks it has to be a certain way because of that word. Mm. What if it could be a different way? What if there could be a different option? Yeah. Do you think we all have that? Why is it that everybody grows up with, you know, a set of beliefs and I have to do this and it should be this way and there's a right way and there's a right path and there's only one way to get this certain thing. How come we are born into this? I don't actually, I don't think I know anyone who is outside of like a certain context. (laughs) So I honestly think so much of it is fear and we like to think we're in control right? It comes back to that letting go theme. So the other book I'm actually rereading and I'm not um, finished rereading, but it's so good. Is a book by David Hawkins called letting it's literally called letting go. I'm reading that right now too. Ah, I love it. (laughs) Wow. Crazy. It's so good, right? Like so good. Yeah. Like it's really, it could be a classic, like you can reread it over and over and always like glean new information from it. It's like every sentence is like, wow, thank you. (laughs) And, you know, part of it, I have to say, I was having this conversation this weekend on a weekend away with some friends. So I, you know, we said I'm in Vietnam and I'm American and grew up with a very like type A personality of an achieving is my highest strength finder Mm. quality. Uh, I love achieving. I love helping all of those things, but living particularly here, I lived in South Korea before, but it's a little more organized. Let's say Vietnam is just like pure chaos on most days. And it has the system and organization somewhat, but not for a Western brain mentality. Mm -hmm. And it has been one of the best things in letting go of control of how things have to be. Because if you are very type A and have a Western brain of it has to be this way, like you would be miserable here every single day. You would hate your life because you would be like, it has to be this way. And it it wouldn't go that way. Like you would not get things to go that way. And so you can either like, and I look at it like resistance, right? When we're in a resistance place where we're fighting something, again, back to the letting go book, but it's like when we're in resistance, we're basically causing more of it. We don't know that we're not necessarily intentionally doing that, but it's in the letting go and the opening ourselves up of being like, huh, what if it could be a different way? What if I don't have to have control here? Like, Mm. how might that go? Mm. And it's like all of our ego stuff that we all have, but it's like reworking that and noticing like it really does get to be easier and better when we let go, even though we think oftentimes the path of control and knowing exactly what's going to happen next is the safer route. Right. But we're really not in that much control. (laughs) Mm. Yeah. I mean, I guess what that reminds me of is, you know, a lot of people go through life thinking, well, well, it's a step-by-step process. I go to school, I get a job, I climb up the ladder and 
I retire. I think that's like a something that's like essentially programmed into a lot of people. Yeah. But you're saying that we can actually let go of that idea, which is scary because then it's like, well, where's my path? How do I go about life? There's no more structure anymore. What do you do from there? Yeah. So it's funny. I read the four hour work week years ago and I remember my friend going, this is going to like revolutionize your life. Just be ready. And I was kind of like, meh, okay. And it's not necessarily that the book itself was like totally, I mean, it is revolutionary. Don't want to like discredit it. But what it did was like really, it was one of the first books that really opened me up to possibilities of a different path and also showing examples. Because I think it's great to talk in theory of like, sure, go do whatever you want or go, right? But like, we need tangible examples sometimes of actual people that are doing it to mm. see what's possible. That's just kind of how our brain works. It needs it needs evidence. It needs people inspiring us, you know, to say like, it could be done a different way. Mm-hmm. And so that was one of the first moments I, at least that I consciously remember being like, oh, I don't have to wait till I'm 65 or 70 to retire. And so after that book, I started studying early retirements and mini retirements and like, oh, how, how could this be different? What if I don't just work a job for 30 years? Like, huh. And it really just opened me up to possibilities. And I also get that this is generational and it's very scary for a lot of like our parents' generation and older mm. because it's not what they have known. But I mean, I think one of the best assets of younger people is the willingness to embrace different ways of being in the world now because mm. of technology, because of opportunities. Doesn't mean it's not scary. Like people look at me all the time and they're like, must be nice for you. Or I get comments and I'm like, oh no, no, no. Let's be very clear. I have been scared. I have done lots of hard things. Like, right. Like I packed up my life. I took two suitcases to Asia. I was willing to like pare down all my stuff to that. And then when I took off to travel, I had like five shirts, literally, I have accumulated more stuff now, but my friends were like, do you have clothes? And I'm like, no, not really. And so it's been scary step after scary step. And you know, maybe you want to do that. Maybe you don't, but I think we also always have to acknowledge, like, we all have fears. It's just, what do you want to do with them? Like, do you want to hang on to the idea that there's only one path, which includes college, master's degree, whatever that is, and like climb the corporate ladder and Mm -hmm. retire. But I think for most people, that's hopefully being shown that like, that's not actually the safest path anymore. Mm, right. Yeah. And if you do end up retiring, I know so many people who they don't like being retired, really. So, right. Like, you know, especially if you're a very active person, you like working, you know, for me, it's the option. Like, I like the option of going, okay, do I want to work when I'm that age? Or what does that look like? You know, maybe that means 
working a few hours or, you know, volunteering or something different versus just being like, I'm 67 and now I'm full out retired and I do nothing. Right. Right. Exactly. It's, it's kind of being able to think ahead and then to acknowledge what you really want versus what other people are telling you you should want. Yeah. Which is the hardest part, I think, is owning what it is that you want and working through all of the stuff that comes up that says you can't have it or you're selfish to want that Mm. or there's no way a person like you can ever get that, you know, whatever it is, whether that's from internal stuff or Mm. other people. Right, exactly. How can we build more confidence in that way of really facing our fears? Because it's it's really, it's the fears that hold us back, really, not, not much else. Totally. So my biggest way is to like build almost momentum, right? Like we all know what it is, even use going to the gym. If you don't go to the gym for two weeks, it's really hard to go back. That first day back is like really challenging, right? Like, and your body feels it big time. Also, your mind is like, oh, it's been two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Why would we do this? Right? Like, mm. so I love as simple as it is, like, how can you keep one promise to yourself every day as like a starting point? So let's say your big dream and goal is to quit your job and go travel for a year. Like we don't live in COVID let's pretend. (laughs) And that's what you want to do. So it's being mindful of like, okay, what are the things, you know, if you've been strategic about it and let's say you're like, I want this amount in my bank account. I want to quit on this date, you know, whatever those things are. So you map it out and you're like, okay, here are the steps I need to take. But then every time you feel that fear and you're like, right? But it's just going, how can I do one of these every single day? And what happens is like, we build that confidence as we take action. And as we get into that momentum, and I say this all the time too, I know that clarity comes from action. Mm. Like I have so many clients that come to me and they're waiting for like, to feel so empowered and confident and clear. And I'm like, good news, bad news. It actually comes from the doing right? Like as we take the action, we find out what works. We find out like, okay, these are like, let's say, I don't know, you're a graphic designer and you book this client and then you decide, yeah, I actually want to work on bigger projects. Like you find in the doing what is going to work for you. And I would love for it to be the opposite, but it's just not that way with anything that I've experienced. I've done a lot of things and tried a lot of things and it's all been from the action, like the terrified, I want to throw up action, but I go do it. Mm -hmm. And then I prove to myself that a, I didn't die in the process, which I know sounds extreme, but honestly, that's how it feels for most of us. When we're like taking that really scary thing, whatever it is, we're like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Whether it's like die of embarrassment or die of like, I just don't think I can do this. But particularly as it relates to like a lot of my world is online business and people in the online space, everyone's so afraid of judgment 
I'd say judgment is the biggest thing for females of, you know, someone judging them, whether that's their past strangers. So it's like, how can we do those little things that remind our brain that we literally are not going to die because that's, that's what's kicking in in our brain, right? Our brain's Mm -hmm. job is to keep us safe. And so it goes into that mode of like, you're going to die. This needs to be protected. I'm trying to do my job. But as you take those steps, you remind yourself like, okay, that was scary, but Hey, I did it. And like, look at what I did. Mm. Like really giving yourself that pat on the back for that. Yes. And sell I'm a big fan of like celebrate all of it. Like so often, and this has been so counterintuitive to me because again, I'm a like achiever. And so I don't feel like, oh, I don't deserve to celebrate things until I win. Like, mm. and I'm really competitive. So I have to like work on this all the time, but it's celebrating every step. Like, oh my gosh, I put myself out there today. You know, like, let's say you are a musician and you like decided to go online and sing a song and it was terrifying. And it was your first time you did it. Like, celebrate yourself. If one person showed up, cool, celebrate that. Like literally that's the energy that creates more of it versus Mm. waiting to like hit the benchmark. We just, right. Like the, we need to enjoy the process myself included, because if we're not having fun, then like, why are we doing it? Yeah. I mean, if we like in psychological terms, reward behavior that moves us closer to what we want, we're going to be more likely to get there. Absolutely. And it also, I think, may point a bit to like shame and feeling like, oh, maybe I don't deserve to feel good about this. How have you kind of managed or or faced your shame? Great question. We could talk on that for days. (laughs) Um, uh, That's a really interesting point, though. And I think that's very true for a lot of us. It will come up. I say all the time, like your shame will surface, you'll have to look at it, but it's, it's again going, how can we lean in with curiosity and then processing in safe spaces? Like what I always say about shame is shame grows in secret. And so if we're hiding, Mm -hmm. I'm an online business owner, but I'm not a fan of like, you need to put everything on the internet. No, no, no. Like you need safe spaces to process your stuff and you are allowed to choose your boundaries of what you put online and what you don't mm-hmm. always. But if we are keeping things, you know, and sometimes it's, we don't even know until those moments come up, right? Mm-hmm. Like we feel, I think most of us can feel shame in our body some way, whether it's like redness or hot or something mm-hmm. like in our pit of our stomach, like most of us feel it in our body. Yeah. But looking at it through the lens, which is so easy for most of us to extend to other people, but the hardest work to do for ourselves is if someone came to you in the same experience, like they were feeling so much shame over, I don't know, something they did in their past. And it it got triggered because of something that happened in their you know life. We wouldn't shame them more and say like, what is wrong with you? Why do you feel this way? You suck, whatever, right? But oftentimes that is our internal dialogue. Like we are so mad at ourselves or I know for myself and a lot of people that like talk about it, 
we want to know why we haven't just moved on. We're like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I just let this go? Why am I still, you know, ruminating on this and thinking about this? Mm -hmm. I should be past this by now. Mm. And so instead of that type of talk, which we all can like, it's fine if that's our initial reaction, but what I'm continually learning, and I feel like I've been learning for more than a decade is we need kindness and compassion. And we have to look at ourselves through the lens you would look at a child through, right? Because that's what our shame needs. That's what our woundedness needs is kindness and compassion. It's not going to dissipate. It's not going to go away if we're just mean and cruel. Mm. We think that because especially if it's us that caused it, like, let's say we feel like we really effed up and we did something terrible. We're like, but I deserve to suffer. Right. No, you don't need to. Hmm. It's interesting that you said treat ourselves like a child, as in we're innocent, as in we didn't intentionally, you know, try to mess up, right? None of us are trying to do that. Yeah. And what I find is the more we can both extend this to ourselves and to other people, because a lot of us, we grew up with very harsh, judgmental voices, whether that was from ourselves or from, you know, people in our surroundings. And again, I think very unintentionally, but if you're a driven person, if you were into achieving or school markers, right? There was just a harsh lens of like how you had to be and behave in the world. Mm -hmm. And so we're like reflecting that onto other people, but it always starts internally. Like we're also judging ourselves through that. And so first we have to deal with ourselves before we deal with anyone else. But if we can really do exactly what you said, like, oh, I was doing the best I could with the information I had. And even if I wasn't, like, how can I forgive myself and move through it? Because most of the times, like, even if it involves somebody else, they've probably moved on and aren't thinking about situation from 17 years ago that you're torturing yourself with, right? Mm. And so this is the work for all of us to go, all right, I forgive myself. I love and accept myself and I'm going to keep growing and learning. And it doesn't mean I'm like perfect, but I'm doing the best I can. And that's enough. Right. What else can we do? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. What does your self-care and like routines look like? I would say one of the biggest ways I would answer this, I'll give practical too, but is self-talk of like, what are the things I'm saying to myself all throughout the day? Cause I think it's easy to compartmentalize of like self-care looks like a bath once per day. And yes, <laughs> I am into like practical things and I will talk about some of the um, practices that I do use, but I think honestly, what's so much more important is how am I speaking to myself all throughout the day? How am I being intentional with how I'm treating myself in various contexts and situations? And am I loving myself all day long? Because it's great if I spend an hour in the morning loving myself, but if I'm mean to myself all day long, like that, that really doesn't get me anywhere. Right. Right. You know, so 
just want to say that as I think that now is what I'm really leaning into of the most important thing I can be aware of. Mm -hmm. But what sets me up for that in terms of starting out is I'm always starting my day with some kind of mindfulness because I find that it is then easier to love myself or to forgive myself. And so I meditate every morning, you know, some, some days that's five minutes, some days that's 20. That looks like guided meditation, silent meditation, depending. But I really believe that is just such a helpful way to get beyond ourselves and to, you know, trust in something bigger, whatever you believe in, but to tap into that. And then I'm also a big fan of journaling. So Mm. usually every morning and sometimes throughout the day, but why I like it so much too, is we all have so much mind drama that goes on and journaling is a really helpful tool to get it out, so to speak. And then the way I describe it too, is sometimes we have these emotions that we feel really charged around or triggered, you know, and again, I think we feel them in our body, but when we can write them out and then when we're at a more neutral place, when we don't feel like irritated or angry or whatever, like strong emotion is coming up, but we just feel a little more neutral, Mm -hmm. we can look at our journal and be like, am I really the worst person on the planet? No, or whatever we said, you know? Mm. And so it's just a really helpful thing to have as a way to look at it. Because if we don't get that out of our brains, sometimes we forget like how cruel we are being to ourselves. Mm, yeah, it's it's a reminder. It's like, it's an archive. It's like, we have to put it down on the page and kind of make it separate from us so that we can then look back and say, oh, this is what I was actually thinking and going through because the mind will just make something else up or or forget. Yeah, totally. All day, every day. Mm. Yeah, I really like that you said, you know, self-care is something we do just like consistently. It's not like I just do 10 minutes of this, you know, an hour of that, and that's how I take care of myself. It really is just an ongoing practice. And when you say you, you're really conscious of your self-talk and how you talk to yourself, I mean, how are you talking to yourself? Like, how do you treat yourself? What do you see in yourself as you're, as you're conscious of that? Yeah, so to me, I almost like to treat my fears, my brain, the things that come up like the lens of a child or something like, how would I speak to like, let's say a fear is coming up mm-hmm. again, back to how would I interact with a child? So I think about, well, that's probably a scared part of me, whether it's when I was a child or whenever. And so how can I love that part of myself mm-hmm. versus dismissing that part of myself, which I think we're so used to doing of like, again, back to those thoughts or ideas of what is wrong with me? Why can't I figure this out? I always Mm. do this, Mm -hmm. right? And we all have places where we do that more, but I work on, and it's continual work for me of going, okay, how can I love this part of myself? She probably didn't get the love or attention or tools that she needed at some place along the path. So 
I'm going to love and give attention to that part of myself that's feeling scared and to say, like, literally to say, it's okay, we're going to figure this out, you're safe, like whatever it is that's kind of coming up. Mm. And then really reminding myself what I'm capable of. You know, we all have self-doubt. We all have fears. It's a lie that like you reach a certain level and you don't have it. Like, no, we all, we all do. But really like on days that it's hard or days that it's uh, feeling really overwhelming of like, do I really suck at, can I do this? Am I just horrible? You know, of maybe it is taking out like an evidence journal. I'm a big fan of Hmm. of keeping logs of things, whether that's, you know, in one place or wherever, but going, oh my gosh, I did X, Y, and Z. Like, that's really cool. Certainly I can do that again. Yeah. Right. right. Why is it that we just forget like how great we are? Like what, what all we've done? Because the world is not necessarily the kindest to us all the time, right? I mean, and our brains, like our brains just aren't either. They're wired to keep us safe. And so, mm-hmm. you know, like their job is to protect us. And I, I just, I know that that's one of the things that I wish I knew sooner. And I want everyone to know is like, you don't have to listen to everything your brain says. I mean, we've said it, but it's, it's really, it's revolutionary in many ways because we're not taught that in school, like, right. We're taught critical thinking through a different lens, but we're not taught like your brain's going to lie to you and it's going to try to keep you safe all day long. So you need to be cautious and conscious of what it's telling you. Hmm. Yeah. And to accept the fact that it's not even trying to harm you. It actually is. Its intention is to protect you. Yeah. And, but inadvertently it will kind of hold you back in some ways yeah absolutely yeah because i mean to the brain the safest life we could possibly live is if we kind of like didn't do anything and we're just at home you know like not trying anything new basically yeah that's safety to the brain Hmm. yeah yeah i really enjoy what you said about like really seeing the child in your own thoughts and really trying to love that child almost like separating yourself from those those voices and those ideas and those thoughts and parenting yourself in that way Mm. that's revolutionary it totally is and you know I still get triggered I have my like emotions where I feel really flooded and that feels hard to do but I keep coming back to it. Right. I I mean, I'm never going to just like quit. And I think that's the reminder too, of like, you had a day where you feel like you did a really crappy job and you failed. Okay. Come back to it tomorrow. Like, yeah. It's part of the human experience, you know? Yeah. Like, it's okay. Like we all have that day where it's like, what happened? (laughs) Yeah. Where did you learn how to kind of treat yourself in that way? It's been so many lessons and years and, you know, and honestly, just like not living that way for so many years too. Like Mm. having these crazy expectations for years and growing up in a like very rigid, judgmental world. (laughs) Um, And like, 
it's really miserable to live that way and realizing that, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been a lot of steps along the way. I mean, I honestly, I think therapy and going to school for counseling was one of the first places of like really understanding reparenting. And that's a lot of the lens, how I learned to be a therapist was like, the work is to help people reparent. Mm -hmm. But then also knowing like, we have to learn how to do that for ourselves And so it's great. Like, yes. And I think a lot of healing comes through relationship and we need relationship to be able to heal. Mm -hmm. However, we also have to be able to learn and implement this within ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like you kind of had to shed an old identity along the way. Continually all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's just the ongoing work of, of living really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And knowing like the hardest part for me is always going, I don't have to be who I was yesterday or 10 years ago. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Sometimes I even remind myself, I can't even know what I'm capable of in the future. That's also a mystery. Totally. Sweet. Well, Carrie, this was just a wonderful conversation and I really appreciate you sharing so much wisdom and like insight, like so many tools that we can use to reparent ourselves, get connected with our intuition, the voice of the heart, uh, what freedom means, because what more could we want than freedom? Thank you. Thank you so much, Jessica. This was wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Hey friend, I hope you enjoyed this show and found it helpful in your own life. I want to ask you a favor. I would love it if you could leave an Apple podcast review for this show. You can do that on your podcast app. It would mean so much to me and I would love to hear what you think about the show. I make this show for you to help you on your journey and I love sharing these great conversations with you. Thanks so much for listening.